You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Brady Burkett, and today I'm thrilled to have on the show Baxter Lanius, CEO and founder of Alternative. Alternative is a B2B buy now, pay later that lets your clients pay over time. And I want to let Baxter introduce himself and the company. Baxter, welcome to the show. Awesome, Brady. Thanks so much for having me. So we're, we're going to talk all about buy now, pay later and B2B payments today. But first, for our audience, can you introduce yourself, your background, and a little bit behind the origin story of Alternative? Yeah, of course, Brady. So I'm the CEO and founder of, of Alternative. As Brady mentioned, you know, we're a B2B buy now, pay later solution to empower customers to pay over time to ultimately drive revenue. I have a tremendous amount of experience in the fintech space. I started my career really on the investing side, working for a fund called Victory Park Capital, which was one of the first institutional credit investors in the fintech. And during that time, I sat on the boards of a number of early stage fintech companies, both C, Series A, Series B companies, and really understood the, the nuts and bolts of, of building a, a lending business, both on the consumer side as, as well as the business side. And at that time, it was really fintech 1.0. You know, many firms were not necessarily doing much underwriting. It was really all about customer acquisition and, and hanging the proverbial online shingle to acquire customers at a cheaper rate than what a brick-and-mortar bank or, or brick-and-mortar lending business could do. But it was a really, really interesting experience between 2014 and, and 2017. I then actually left Victory Park and I joined Apollo Global, which is a $600 plus billion private equity business where I invested in technology companies and, and learned more about kind of the broader technology ecosystem, which, you know, as I started to dig into, you know, realized was just kind of continuing to accelerate and shift. And it was specifically shifting within data integrations and APIs and the proliferation of the cloud. And you know, companies for the first time could really underwrite and really kind of get a pulse on the underlying fundamentals of, of businesses through these online channels and online technologies, leveraging APIs and leveraging, you know, a number of these data integrations. And that's when I really, you know, it all clicked and I, I wanted to start Alternative because, you know, my goal all along was, you know, how do you create a better underwriting engine and a better risk assessment engine? And that was the insight. And that was the thesis that we really built Alternative on and have since grown into B2B payments and, and lending, you know, to really better underwrite businesses and, and provide access to capital, you know, and, and more capital at a, at a much more accelerated rate. And we're, we're going to talk all about really the emerging or, or the converging trends that the alternative sits in the middle of here in the fintech space today. But first, can you explain a little bit about how the product works? Yeah, of course. So our product is all about driving revenue growth, as as I mentioned. And you know, as as any listener knows, there there are a gazillion ways to drive revenue growth. One of the, the key ways that businesses in the later stages 
use is is the ability to offer flexible payment plans and and flexible payment solutions to their end customers. Now, for a lot of businesses, you know, this doesn't exist because, you know, they want to maximize cash up front. And what we've put together and and what we've assembled is is a product that really aligns interests between the vendors and the customers and allows us to sit in the middle and allows your end customer to pay over time over six installments or 12 installments or three installments and still allows you to get paid up front. And when you think about the power that this has, it really has a tremendous ability to unlock value in all sorts of different ways. You know, if you have customers within your funnel that you haven't been reacting to the latest product feature, you know, you can leverage a pay over time solution to pry them from that position in the funnel and get them to activate and get them to motivate to make a decision. If you're trying to upsell and cross sell a customer on, on a new solution that, that may be more expensive, you can simultaneously offer them the ability to pay over time. If you have a customer who's, you know, about to churn and, and you've identified them because, you know, they're not using your product or solution as frequently as, as other customers, you know, you can use a pay over time solution to, to retain that customer. And this tool is really a sales enablement tool. And it's really, you know, how do you align interests as, as best as you can with your end customer, you know, who oftentimes is a little bit more price conscious, is a little bit more price sensitive and wants to maximize their dollars out the door. Yeah. And I think you just used a, a phrase that I like, which is aligned interests or aligned incentives. And you're speaking to the massive benefits here of driving revenue for the vendor or the supplier here in this scenario in the B2B transaction. And then obviously the capital stands to benefit the buyer by giving them access to new features or potentially entirely new SaaS contracts or new products that they can add to their business from day one and pay over time. So can you talk a little bit about how you're building this? You know, It, it really feels like a three-way transaction where you're you're providing capital, but it's benefiting both the buyer and the seller. And it's kind of like a win-win-win. A but you can, can you talk a little bit more about that specifically within the B2B context? Yeah, totally. So let's just walk you through a, a very specific example of, of, of how, this, how this functions and how this works. So if you have a $50,000 transaction and our, our default duration is, is about six months, or six installments, our average duration is, is about four. But let's say, you know, again, you have a $50,000 purchase price and you're trying to convince you know, your end customer to make that purchase. Now, with Alternative, you can set them up to a six installment payment plan requiring them to pay $8,300 or $8,333 a month for six months. On day two we would pay our vendor or our, our partner, we would take a 5% discount. So we would pay them $47,500 on day two. So they're able to actually close on that transaction on day two, not even net 30 or net, net, net 60. And then we would collect over six installments from the end customer. Now, if you think about the, the broader risk that we're taking, and to your point, Brady, in terms of it being kind of a, a multi-pronged relationship, 
you know, we're evaluating our partners on their ability to carry out the service or, you know, if it's a software platform to execute on the contract for their software. In the event that they don't execute, right, we've now fronted them the payment and we're trying to collect from the end customer and the end customer is upset because, you know, the service is, is, is not to a specific threshold. And so that's super important to us. And, and we really focus on both the quality of product that all of our partners are offering, but then also their financial capacity and, and their financial fortitude in terms of, you know, how much capital do they have in the bank? Because that's the first real risk. And, and, and those are our real partners who, who use this for their end customers. But at the same time, you know, we're offering terms to the end customer, allowing them to pay over time for the solution. So we also need to ensure that the end customer, we're taking on the right risk within that end customer. And so it creates this three-way relationship where it's a, clearly a win-win from our partner and the vendor and the supplier's perspective as well as the end customer. But we are you know, evaluating risk across this ecosystem and across the system to ensure that the end customer can make those six payments in this example, and that we can recover you know, the $50,000, or in this case, $47,000. Know, we would keep $2,500, but $50,000 total investment here. Yeah. And, and I think that this also is probably a nice segue I'm sure a lot of our listeners are kind of tuned into what's going on in the consumer buy now, pay later market. And it is a bit more of an established product. There's a number of top players at this point, like Klarna and Sezzle and, and Affirm. And I think it, it would be interesting to explore the differences here between B2B buy now, pay later and consumer buy now, pay later. I think, you know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, but right off, off the bat, it seems to me that you don't have some some frivolous purchases that, that regulators would scrutinize like they do with with consumer lending to go buy fast fashion and, and things. And actually, you know, the value of credit being provided to buyers. I just heard a quote listening to an interview of Elon Musk, where if he had paid his suppliers on time at Tesla back when they were just getting started, he'd be out of business, right? So, so I do. There, there is kind of this like very objective difference in, in value of what credit can mean to a consumer versus a business. And, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about that, but, I, but also we're talking about the difference between a B2B payments channel and a consumer to merchant payments channel. And in my perspective, this, is, this might be an assumption, a consumer to merchant payment channel is pretty well-developed, right? Either you use a debit card or you use Klarna, but those are pretty, pretty workable solutions, not, not too many gaps there. In the B2B world, I think B2B payments as many folks in fintech know, is not a solved problem. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different elements to think about. So, you know, maybe just in that lens of comparing to what our listeners probably understand a bit better at this point in the market, can you talk about how B2B buy now, pay later is, is fundamentally different than, than consumer? Yeah, totally. And there's, there's a lot to unpack there, Brady, between buy now, pay later and, and B2B and consumer, as well as just the kind of broader B2B payments ecosystem. You know, ultimately, we work with our partners who are mostly business critical suppliers and vendors, and they're offering very high value, high ROI type spend. And for us, the equation is all about how do you align your ROI in terms of dollars out the door 
$2 in the door. So, you know, let's say that that $50,000 basket of goods or, or software that you're purchasing is a high ROI spend. We've now broken that payment down into about $8,300 a month for six months. And, you know, in month two, three, four, five, and six, you can now use that software to bring in revenue and to drive value for your business. So that inherently is a very different purchase and then, you know, the consumer buy now, pay later, which is really all about consumption, right? I mean, Affirm and Peloton, you know, that partnership was, was one of the preeminent partnerships within buy now, pay later, which, you know, partially drove Peloton's success and, and, and drove a lot of the publicity around buy now, pay later, you know, sure, you could classify it as a, as a health and wellness purchase, but it's, it's all about consumption. In, in the B2B space, and, and to your point on, on Elon Musk, it's really about managing cash flow and it's really about balancing that ROI. So as we see it, you know, we're allowing our partners to sell more to a broader end customer base that can now balance more of the volatility around cash flow. And that's super, super important and, and doesn't exist as much in, in, in the consumer space. The other piece, which is, which is very different in B2B payments, is there's really no online terminal as you experience it in, in the consumer world. So you don't go to a specific website and check out and, and buy a Peloton you know, as you receive an invoice you know, via email or you receive you know, an, a phone call saying that you owe $10,000. And that's where our solution is, is fundamentally different than every single other B2B buy now, pay later solution. Alternative solution runs complementary and we partner and we work with QuickBooks, Salesforce Quote to Cash, you know, Zero, all these other accounting and invoicing solutions to provide you another offer and another solution to embed buy now, pay later within that invoicing solution. So, you know, we partner with these businesses, we work in parallel to these businesses to ultimately create more easy checkout experiences and, and payment, fundamental payment transactions for those end customers. So we're actually, you know, not only providing this pay over time solution, we're also providing a much more succinct checkout experience so that your invoices and so that your bills you know, can and will get paid over time. Because to your point, Brady, the, the B2B payments ecosystem, I mean, I kind of, I, I laugh to myself, but it's just, it's so antiquated and there are really not that many options to check out. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the, the B2B, it, I, I, I might come back and ask you more about your partnerships there with the actual financial software that the businesses are using. But with, with B2B, you know, you, you don't have that reliability like a online merchant might where if the debit card fails, you don't have to ship them the good, right? Like there's, there's so much more ambiguity and timing and delivery and payment receipt where the contract signs and your team start working on an implementation, just use a software use case, but the payment terms aren't for, for seven days or 30 days. And then you have to, to reconcile that check in the mail. And it, it's, it's kind of a nightmare. The other thing that you know i'm sure folks in accounts receivable departments in businesses across the country can relate to is looking at simply like like non-payment and churn risk 
So, and that's, that could be either at the time of implementation or post going live. And, and it's a, a monthly billing cycle and, and clients just stop mailing that check. So can you talk a little bit about, you were talking about alternatives impact to top of funnel sales, but when it comes to a live client, you know, what, what is that impact that you've seen? Or, or can you just talk about a, a few of those things that alternative brings to the table for clients who have already signed the contract and, and now it might, they might just need a, a clear path for payment over the, the life cycle of that relationship? Yeah, totally. And, and let's go over the kind of the, the specific challenges that, that you mentioned, because I think that, you know, those are kind of the preeminent challenges within in B2B. I mean, you mentioned ambiguity in terms of timing and delivery of, of, of payments, you know, payment terms being delayed, you know, the challenges in terms of reconciling different payments or, you know, non-payments and churn. Alternative ultimately helps with all of it right? Because we set up a payment plan for the end customer and we pay our partner and our vendor on day two. The payment plan is very well described and summarized within Alternatives Platform. You know, you're due on May 18th, $8,333. On June 18th, you owe another $8,333. And so it's very, very clear, and we have a very transparent payment system to ensure the transparency on that side. Additionally, on the vendor side, you're paid on day two, and we automatically reconcile your payments through our platform. So once the $47,500 payment, $47,500 hits your bank account, the status is updated in your dashboard. And both sides have complete clarity to the funds flow, which is hugely important to get comfortable with all these challenges. I think the one of the one of the more you know fundamental issues is around non-payment, you know, bad debt expense and and collections. And alternative also helps tremendously with that because we set up the end customer on a on a very specific payment plan to ensure that, you know, if non-payment is a thing, you know, we're communicating with that customer and we sit in in the middle as an intermediary. And so, you know, we work with, you know, typically on the selling side and on the sales cycle, you know, we work with the head of sales, CEOs of businesses. Once we're in the house, we typically work with the accounts receivable department. And, you know, we work with the fundamental people who are sending out these invoices and using alternative as an alternative, no pun intended, to get more deals done and to ensure non-payment. You know, we have a we have an ad tech company as one of our partners. And as everybody knows in the ad tech space, you know, once you collect or once you are paid, then you can begin the ad spend or the ad campaign. Now, for this specific customer and for all ad tech companies that work with us, we provide that insight to show them that they've received payment, it's in the bank, and they don't need to constantly refresh their Silicon Valley bank account to see if that wire has hit. Once the status is updated to complete, they can immediately begin the ad campaign, and it's seamless as opposed to you know, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing your bank account and never knowing when that payment's coming in. And then the pay- a payment comes in for $8,500 
and then you need to manually reconcile it. So, you know, our solution really sits in between and can be leveraged and utilized in, in a multitude of different ways. But, you know, we create transparency around the timing of payments and payment terms. We create transparency around non-payment and, and churn risk, as you mentioned. And it's a huge, huge win-win for a big problem set in, this, uh, in the B2B ecosystem. Zooming out a little bit, you did mention partnerships with... I wasn't sure if you were ex- exclusively speaking to accounts receivable or both accounts receivable and accounts payable platforms. I could see an avenue for both. You know, we talk a lot and, and to be honest, everybody in FinTech talks a lot about embedded finance and, you know, there are some interesting opportunities there. And, and I'm curious if you have thoughts on, you know, how you see that evolving over time where what you know, to take QuickBooks, for example, like they might've started out purely as a software platform, but they're going to look for ways to bring, you know, more intensive financial services within their platform. I guess question number one is, is alternative there yet in exploring those types of relationships? And then either way, just curious if you have comments on that as, you know, an executive and kind of what you see the future with those relationships with your partnerships there today. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a fantastic question, and and mid last year was kind of the height of this whole embedded finance theme, and I think a lot of these software companies will will embed finance into into their platforms in many different ways, whether it's lending or whether it's accounts receivable or AP or, or whatever it is, or whether it's stock brokerage accounts. You know, there's something really interesting about lending, and and it's very interesting in, in the time and time today, given the macro and economic background, and a lot of people are, are scared to be a lender. They don't want to take on a bunch of balance sheet risks. They don't want to have a balance sheet. You know, they'd much rather be a software company. You know, there's the kind of ad, you know, old valuation metrics of, you know, lending businesses should trade for book value. So, you know, book value for lending businesses, if you have a $50 million book of loans, you should be worth $50 million. And if you trade at a slight premium of 1.25 times book, then, you know, you'll trade at a slight premium to your loan book. And that will actually, I think, in, in provide a little bit of a, of a barrier around getting into lending because of that just kind of overall macro perspective. So, you know, what was mid last year, this like massive trend of embedded lending, you know, may actually slow down. That said, there, there are a ton of companies that offer lending solutions that are embedded. And QuickBooks is, is actually one of them, right? I mean, you have QuickBooks Capital, you have Square Capital. I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs receive emails from a multitude of different people offering them different lending solutions. However, you know, if distribution, distribution is obviously a differentiator in, in the market, but you know, you're going to need to differentiate and you're going to need to come up with a much better underwriting solution to broader distribute your capital. And I think that that's something that, you know, all embedded finance companies cannot necessarily do and, and cannot necessarily do easily. The way in which we've partnered with, with invoicing solutions really on the accounts receivable side is we provide all of our partners with a white label link solution. So for Currency Cloud, as an example, it would be currencycloud.financing.link. 
And that link in turn is embedded within every single invoice that Currency Cloud sends out. So it's actually a, a very simple, differentiated, unique approach to embedded finance, where if you want to check out via pay over time, you can immediately just click this Currency Cloud link and pay for this invoice over time as opposed to spending you know, four to eight months working with one of the embedded finance teams on you know, how do you really embed this and integrate this appropriately in a seamless manner. You can get started with alternative in, in minutes. And that's, I think, one of the challenges within embedded anything, right? Is you don't necessarily know what the return on investment of this initiative will be. And you really have to kind of take a leap of faith that the you know, company that's embedding with you can execute appropriately and, and drive that kind of value. So I think the theme is definitely here to stay. It may slow down, especially on the you know, capital intensity side, where if you're embedding with solutions that, that require a big balance sheet, but it just it allows companies to to build faster to you know expand their product feature set and ultimately deliver a better solution to their end customers. Yeah, really interesting perspective there Baxter. Thanks. Another macro trend that we're seeing for folks listening, we're recording here uh, middle end of May 2022 and I want to get your thoughts on some of the the macro trends in the capital markets. You said at an interesting intersection here providing buy now, pay later for businesses. And we talked a lot about cash flow today. And you hear how important it is now to watch your cash flow because it could potentially become more difficult to raise equity capital moving forward with some of these deals not coming through that that founders were expecting. So that's that's like side one of the equation. And then side two, to be honest, I know much less about, but that's that's the debt capital market. And I'm not sure what's going on there with expectations around rates, but ultimately in the lending business, you, you do need to keep an eye on debt capital. So can you just talk about both what the buyers, the sellers are seeing um, in terms of their own cash flow, what, what alternative can bring to the table there given today's environment? And then also if you have thoughts or comments on, on kind of the general macro environment about alternatives, access to debt capital and you know, what you expect there moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So I think it's, you know, we're, we're, we're at a really, really interesting point in time, especially for a business like alternative, because ultimately providing your end customers, the ability to pay over time for your solutions is, is a huge win-win and should especially be an even bigger win in this type of environment, because every end customer is, is more focused on cash flow and more focused on the ability to, you know, properly track and and project their cash burn. So if they can now pay for something that was fifty thousand dollars, you know, in you know eighty three hundred dollar installments, they're probably much more likely to make that purchase and move forward with that decision. So I do think that you know alternative is is a platform you know that will continue to see a lot of success in this environment as people are 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 very cash cash flow concerned and and cautious and you know I would advise you know every company to adopt a solution you know like alternatives to to better align interests with with your end customers and 
and make sure that you can get those deals done. In terms of the broader macroeconomic and, and debt capital market side, you know, you've already seen spreads widen on on the consumer side, and and we've already seen defaults start to tick up on on the consumer side, which obviously is a, is really a leading indicator for kind of more more distress to to come, and that will cause yields to yields to rise. So you know, if you you know were raising capital, let's say you were raising fifty million dollars to lend out, and previously you were able to you know, raise that capital at two or three percent, which is kind of where the securitization market was on the consumer side, you know, you're now raising it at four or five percent. And, you know, the challenge there is that, you know, your cost base stays constant unless you're obviously make make cuts. And so that just directly eats into your your profitability as a lending business, right? So if you were generating a, a 10% profit margin, and you know your cost of capital was three percent. You know, for every hundred bips, you know you lose a little bit more on on the profit margin side. On the business side, where where we specifically focus and and B two B, you know, we haven't seen that much challenge in terms of raising capital in terms of expanding our our platform. Now, I'm sure that will come, and so. You know we're we're focused on expanding our our balance sheet to ensure we have capital to to fund. I think the bigger question and the bigger concern and and it's really in line with what you're seeing on the consumer side is what do the loan books of these B2B lenders look like and what are the underlying loans and what are the underlying companies that are contained in these loan tapes. And that's something that I think people will, you know, take a magnifying glass to and ensure that, you know, they're making the right underwriting decisions because there's a, there's inherently a conflict of interest here, right? The underlying lender is typically generating much more return associated with the equity value and the value of his or her platform. The lender who's providing the capital is is holding the bag on on their loan book. And so all of these online lenders and fintech companies are actually incentivized to open the floodgates and do a bunch of poor deals. And so I think you will also see in the B2B space, you know, some of lenders who will get exposed from from taking on too much risk on the underlying underlying business. But you know, I haven't seen that yet, and, and we're definitely not there yet. But you know, as as the macroeconomic environment become worsens, you know, there will definitely be be some holes in in, in some of these portfolios. Gotcha. Well, I, I really appreciate your your perspective on that, Baxter, and, and thanks for share, sharing your thoughts. As we look to wrap up the conversation today, I'm curious if you can give us. You kind of gave us some some forward looking thoughts on on the macro environment, but maybe about alternative and B two B buy now pay later as a whole. You've explained the obvious value here for both the buyer and seller, and only how that value will will grow if trends continue. But I'm just curious, you know, where where you see the direction of the company going, or more generally, where where the B two B buy now pay later market will go here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will. I think it will. It will continue to escalate, and they're really in the U.S. There are not that many players that are that are currently competing in the space, and you know, it's a it's a very 
clear value add and value prop from both sides of the equation. And there's no reason why, you know, companies should not use buy now, pay later and the ability to pay over time and installment plans to ultimately get access to capital, right? If you're a series A or you're a small business and you don't qualify for a $250,000 loan, but you're able to pay over time for your $50,000 oven, or you're able to pay over time for, you know, your $30,000, whatever it may be, you know, it's a new way to ultimately get capital into the hands of, of small businesses who need capital and need incremental runway to survive. And that's the same trend line that ultimately drove buy now, pay later in the consumer market to so much success. I think the, the key question in, in the B2B space is that, you know, I think you'll need more than just buy now, pay later or just lending to be super successful in, in the B2B space because it is a much more competitive, larger market. And I think you're seeing a lot of innovation from all sides of B2B payments. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lower probability that you see Klarna or a firm equivalents in the B2B buy now, pay later space. And you'll see a lot of these B2B buy now, pay later companies, you know, of which there are only a handful today. And most of them are based in Europe really, really expand into something much broader and much greater to help the accounts receivable team, to help the head of sales, to you know, help the payment infrastructure for those specific businesses. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of innovation in that space because, you know, receiving PDF invoices or email invoices just can't go on for, for, for much longer. Obviously, all these things have a much longer tail to them. But, you know, if I receive another PDF invoice, I mean, come <laughs> on, guys, we need to we need to do something here. Yeah, well, good to know that at least at least you're out there, you know, taking a stab at solving this and and um, really appreciate the time today, Baxter. Um, it's been great to learn about alternative. Where can folks find out more about the product suite and get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. So our, our website's alternative.co, C-O. You can find me on, on LinkedIn and, and, and Twitter, Baxter Lanius, L-A-N-I-U-S. Um, happy to, my email is Baxter at alternative.co. You know, would love to, would love to chat with folks. You know, I think that there we're in a really, really interesting time and in, in, in the buy now, pay later space within B2B, as well as the macro environment. And would love to hear from you all. And thanks so much for your time, Brady. This has been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.